Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Pitch Book's Invisible Capital Podcast, which takes you inside the inner workings of the private markets. I'm Alexander Davis, Editor-in-Chief of PitchBook News. Today, with one year of the pandemic behind us, we're taking measure of the highs and lows in the venture capital market. And as market conditions recover from the crisis, we'll hear from PitchBook analysts and a few guests about what has been working and what isn't. After a scare in the first half of 2020, the venture capital market is rolling into 2021 on an upbeat note. While investors faced some dire conditions surrounding the pandemic, the venture ecosystem has largely escaped a once in a century public health emergency. More than that, investors have claimed big wins in terms of record-setting fundraising, deal flow, and exit activity. It's worth remembering that just one year ago at this time, the idea of pulling off such a feat could not have seemed more remote. About the deadly coronavirus officially hitting the US. March 2020, financial markets around the globe are in a panic. In a moment that captures the bleak outlook of the early weeks of the crisis, Sequoia Capital sounds an alarm to its portfolio companies. They call the pandemic a black swan event that threatens to upend global economic growth trends. And Sequoia wasn't wrong. Much of the world economy was shut down. A deep and long-lasting recession quickly followed. But a modest economic rebound has finally begun. And even before that, the venture market showed signs at mid-year of bullish activity. That has carried through to now. Venture capital deal-making not only adapted, it roared back to life in terms of capital deployment, VC capital formation, and exits, punctuated by a banner year for initial public offerings by some of the biggest names in the business. To break down what has been driving the action, we'll hear from PitchBook analysts who cover the venture asset class. We've got highlights from our team's review of market conditions, featuring findings from the latest PitchBook NVCA Venture Monitor report, and the outlook for key trends in 2021. Our analysts, Cameron Stanfill and Joshua Chow, led a panel discussion delving into what the recent data is telling us about the direction of the VC market. As Josh explained, venture capitalists kicked off 2021 having just had a record year of fundraising totaling over $73 billion. That was done with just 320 different fund vehicles, the lowest number since 2013. The industry's huge haul is the result of major thematic trends driving the market climate, Josh said. But there's a little more going on here. Um, what really bolstered 2020's robust fundraising was threefold. First, lots of public market liquidity from a strong IPO market. Second, near zero benchmark interest rates. And third, frankly, a large number of LPs were underallocated to venture coming into the year with distributions going back to LPs at record levels. So this justifies the increased allocations. When we look a little deeper at the various fund sizes, we see that mega funds, so these are funds that have closed at least half a billion dollars, also had a great year in 2020. Um, a record 44 of these mega funds were closed in 2020 with 14 of these VC funds at $1 billion or more. 
So some notable funds raised in 2020 include a pair of funds um, totaling $4.6 billion from Andreessen Horowitz back in November, Tiger Global's 3.8 fund from the very beginning, um, January of 2020, NEA's $3.6 billion fund from March, right as the pandemic really set in, and General Catalyst's $2.3 billion fund a month after that. So while established managers like these four were able to find success in 2020, um, the story did not apply to all fund managers, particularly emerging managers. So we saw a fundraising bifurcation in 2020 between established and emerging VC firms. So typically emerging firms, and so these are characterized as those that have raised fewer than four funds. Typically these emerging firms raise twice the number of funds as established firms, simply because there's just so many of these smaller, newer and younger firms. However, if you're an emerging firm with maybe one or two funds under your belt, not much past fund performance to tout to LPs, 2020 was certainly a challenging year for you. So we see in this graph that fund counts between emerging and established firms was essentially at parity rather than the two to one ratio that we've seen over the last several years. So this represents a 50% year over year decline in funds raised by emerging firms. So naturally this expands the chunk of the pie that established firms are able to take. So this slide shows that established firms, again, established firms are those that have raised four or more funds. They exceeded 70% share of the fund value for the first time since 2014. So as established managers found more success in raising flagship funds during the pandemic, emerging firms have had to be more creative um, and think about non-flagship financing vehicles, such as rolling funds, syndicates, commingle funds, um, SPVs, et cetera. So what's interesting to note here is that only 50 first-time funds were raised in 2020, which the total was just shy of $4 billion in capital. This is a sharp decline from 2019's $6 billion and 2018's $10.8 billion raised by first-time funds. So next, when discussing fundraising, we also find value in looking at the amount of capital overhang or dry powder that's available to VC-backed companies. So as of uh, March 31st, 2020, Dry powder is currently sitting at an all-time high of $153 billion. Um, and so you can see the breakdown of dry powder by vintage year. And so while the dry powder is building, this likely needs to be deployed as well. Let's turn to what could be the hottest topic of all, the stunning rebound in initial public offerings. These days, no discussion about the bull run and IPOs is complete without getting into the rise of blank check companies known as SPACs. SPAC deals raised more than $75 billion in 2020, a figure that is already being overtaken in 2021. Venture capital firms initially kept their distance from SPAC deals, but soon the allure of this vehicle became too hard to resist. And as Josh Chow explains, many established firms are jumping in. So one interesting thing to note was the involvement of VCs in the formation of their own SPACs. Investors like Firstmark, Lux Capital, 5AM Ventures, and Ribbit Capital um, are some of the firms that are looking to integrate SPACs into their stack of financing vehicles. So whether they use it as a means of taking portfolio companies public or simply having a stake in the equities market, that remains to be seen. Our guest, Devika Patil, a managing director with Silicon Valley Bank, commented that SPACs have come on strong in large part as a response to many unicorn companies' difficulties going public through the traditional IPO process. 
my favorite topics, SPACs. We can't, you know, we, we couldn't read the daily financial news without the word SPAC popping up um, last year and continuing on to this year. I mean, I could, I could go on. Susan and I could talk about this for an hour. So yeah, I'll try yeah. and keep this as succinct as I can. Um, you know, and I think it's really important. Uh, you know, as Joshua mentioned, we saw 320% more SPACs raised um, in, in 2020, right? And then they were raised in 2019. And I think it's really important to understand, um, you know, what, what was happening in 2019, right? Before the SPAC surged in 2020. And, and part of this could be attributed to the struggles that unicorns were seeing, whether it was Lyft, Uber, Slack. They went public earlier in 2019, but then didn't trade that well in the latter half. And then, of course, there was the uh, well-known debacle of, of WeWork, which we also know now is uh, talking to us back by a VC firm, Bo Capital. So it'll be very interesting to see how, how that progresses. But I think the scrutiny that was put on WeWork, um, you know, just made a lot of companies a little uh, shy of IPO and put their IPO plans on, on hold. And, and with the IPO market, um, market becoming more difficult for these companies, um, just the market became more price sensitive, right, and selective. And so I think this is where companies, uh, this is where SPACs saw the opportunity. And and. With IPOs, IPOs have seen very little innovation in, you know, in the last few years. And for some companies thinking about going public, SPACs can be a really useful way to raise capital quicker and with fewer hurdles, right? They give more price certainty to founders and they let the founders evaluate, you know, do they want the, the short-term founders that, uh, short-term investors um, that may uh, be part of the first day pops that we've seen with, with some of the IPOs uh, in December, or do they want longer term investors who are more interested in the growth strategy? Um, Susan and I did an interview with Reed where he mentioned he viewed SPACs as an opportunity to venture at scale. So the IPO is not, you know, the, the end of the journey. It's like just, it's the beginning of the next phase. So do you, you know, how do you want to position yourself with your investors in that, that journey of, of your company? Another issue that was brought to the light, you know, is uh, the S1, right? For for high growth companies, you can't uh, you can't incorporate uh, uh, financial projections, but with a SPAC, uh, you you can incorporate those financial projections, and so it just you know gives you more um, solid price certainty and and more uh, more rationale when when you go out to, to price. Um, in terms of how these facts fit into the ecosystem, I definitely think it's another way of providing exit optionality for VCs, right? And for unicorns that may be earlier on in their go-to-market strategy or their customer acquisition story, or they may not have scaled economics yet, I, I think it provides a great mechanism. There, there's over $725 billion unrealized unicorn value just in the US alone. So when we think of the, the potential uh, that, that SPACs have for 2021 and beyond, it's, it's just remarkable. Susan Winter, head of loan syndication at Silicon Valley Bank, took measure of the non-equity forms of financing that have a significant footprint on the VC deal landscape today. You know, it's interesting, you know, with um, venture debt and, the, and the, the many different sort of non-equity access to, uh, to capital that VC and, you know, growing stage, late stage companies have from, you know, like bank to the non-regulated lenders uh, to then once Republic, then the, the conversion high yield finance. And I'll kind of talk a little bit about kind of the, the trending that we're seeing around that. Um, 
you know, a lot of the the trends that we saw in banking changed a lot um, as we saw 2009 on with Volcker and Dodd-Frank when we started to have more regulatory scrutiny. So that created a whole ecosystem for, you know, debt funds to get more active involved in, in lending on either a highly leveraged or what we often think about as the venture capital. And that has created proliferation of uh, debt funds raised. Uh, that did not stop in 2020, and we believe it's going to continue in 2021. Um, what we've seen is kind of access to capital um, in the debt terms. Oftentimes, we saw a little bit of a pullback from our the, the venture capital-backed um, companies during the first quarter to of, uh, of the year last year. Uh, part of that is some of the um, people really taking a hard look at what is the cash flow mechanics. It's, it's more of a debt play, making sure you're, you're coming in, you don't have equity in the game, you're making sure that you've got the right um, provisional structures in place. So we saw a little bit of a pullback. Uh, for the syndicated loan market, we did see uh, a drop, uh, 31% decline, I think in, in technology, there was a 17% for middle market. And then in the venture debt area, we, we did see it kind of soften. Um, they had a strong kind of, a lot of refinancings, um, but it continues to be strong and we believe it's going to continue even higher uh, this year. Um, you know, we're looking at a LIBOR is at an all-time low. Uh, last year, this time it was 1.67, it's now 0.21. Um, we're, we're also seeing um, mostly folks that are interested in putting in debt emplacements for a non-dilutive effect. So access to capital is so strong right now in all of the investors. But when they start to really tighten up the way they're looking at their full capital structure, putting in non-dilutive capital has been probably one of the biggest focuses that they continue to have. Um, and we're seeing bigger and bigger checks being written for that in the back half of second, um, the second half of 2020. And we see that continuing on. So as we think about some of the big fundamentals that, that are out in the market, the convert market, um, although it's equity, it's equity linked uh, debt fees, it was white hot at the second half of, of the year. We saw a huge amount of public companies accessing it. And then the high yield market starts to roar back as well. Um, we're now seeing uh, single B and double B credits being priced at three to four to five percent, which is an all time low. Um, so we're seeing there's massive amounts of support either from institutionals, uh, debt funds, and um, banks as well. Um, we do believe that there's sort of, you know, the banks continue to be monitored heavily by the regulators. So there's smaller debt sizes and more structuring mechanics to make sure they've got the right protocols. Um, and then in the venture debt area that you spoke on at the beginning, um, we're seeing there's a the kind of a couple breakout players within that area, larger funds that are really being active in this space. Um, you know, some of them are, were taking 20 and $30 million debt instruments. Some of them are now, you know, depending on the company and the, um, the, the cash flow fundamentals or pre-cash flow fundamentals, we're seeing some checks being written as a high $600 million for some companies that are looking to put in non-dilutive debt in place. So um, again, kind of st staying on the, on the message, we've seen a lot is just there's a lot of liquidity out in the markets um, and competition strong um, in a lot of these funds. They, um, some of the funds are BDCs that are just monitored on the public market, but some of the funds are private. Um, if they don't put capital to work, they have to send it back. So um, they're all very active and we're seeing a frothy market where we're seeing um, compression in pricing that's to the benefit of the uh, borrowers and uh, they're being able to get terms, better terms than ever before. In the depths of the pandemic, venture capitalists honed in on portfolio companies that were thought to be the most resilient in the face of the crisis. This selectivity 
ushered in the flight to quality that has lasted into 2021. Venture deal flow during the pandemic bifurcated into haves and have-nots, leaving some big questions looming over the market outlook. Once again, here's Susan Winter. Just hitting on fundraising was a huge year, um, but then the early stage, we did see it drop off a little bit. Uh, what it seemed that investors and, um, and, and exit strategies really focused on persistent revenue growth year over year and really on that ramp and that path to success. Um, so much that we've seen in this industry has really been winner takes all. And so this huge ramp, whether it's you know, some of the huge, huge DECA unicorns or the um, unicorns themselves really have been being able to dominate in the space. So that has been the biggest pr uh, principle that we've seen across it. And then within those sectors, we often look for sort of some continuity or stickiness in the revenue. Um, if it's recurring revenue, we're looking in uh, security, artificial intelligence, any kind of enterprise software areas that really have that high stickiness, whether it's contractually done, it's done in the cloud, um, changes are done by a push of a button effectively versus having to come in sort of on-prem services where you have to do a rip and replace or make some huge modification. Um, we're also seeing the trends as Devika had touched on and really seeing more around ed tech, all the things that happened during COVID that changed our lives forever in, in various capacities. So ed tech has been a huge impact, social media, the wellness area, um, going in wellness, whether it's in you know, teledocs or other sort of remote uh, um, uh, uh, doctoring or, or, or support for individuals. Um, and then in FinTech, we saw a huge growth as well. To understand the present, it's helpful to think of 2021 as a year divided into two parts. Early on, it was bleak for company founders. It was dominated by a climate of fear that saw VC funds tighten up capital deployment. That left record sums of dry capital accumulating. But businesses began adapting to the new normal, and the pendulum swung back in favor of founders. Deal valuations are once again being driven up, as investors scramble to put their names on term sheets. This has reshaped deal-making and VC fundraising into 2021. Let's listen to Devika Patil's commentary on that and the rise of big new software players that are themselves becoming corporate investors in the VC ecosystem. We've seen software valuations now trading at 18 times enterprise value. We're seeing high growth companies trading at 25 times and growth rounds are being compared to public comps at are you know at about two to four times. So really, kind of a great you know a great place to to be. I think uh, what happened now you know now in 2021, there's light at the end of the tunnel with vaccine distribution, right? And I think we're seeing a lot of the similar factors that we saw in 2020 play out in 2021 specifically fundraising with a lot of LPs allocating profits and in distributions from 2020 IPOs, they're allocating more to venture. So I think, you know, the fundraising environment remains robust. As Joshua mentioned, there's enough dry powder that's still willing um, and able to be deployed back into the system. And, and where is this going to be deployed, right? Because of COVID, we've seen a great acceleration of digitization. Um, we've seen the cloud market grow. We've seen the virtual enterprise that's poised because of remote work and ed tech, et cetera. So that's poised for a lot more innovation in 2021. And also there's the healthcare market, right? And, and companies um, that are at the intersection of technology and life sciences, LPs are willing to allocate a lot more and COVID's just kind of moved that towards the forefront. 
Another factor is, uh, you know, the, the mega funds and the and the mega deals, right? CBC, uh, CBCs have come in and they're not only participating in deals, they're leading deals. And we're seeing, you know, newly formed um, public companies or private companies, whether it be CrowdStrike, Snowflake, Slack, they're, they're now allocating, you know, they've started their own CBC funds and they want to seed this ecosystem. So we're going to see a lot more deal flow from there as well. It's fair to say that venture capitalists and their portfolio companies have demonstrated a high degree of resilience to the havoc wreaked by the pandemic. But there are some big questions facing the VC ecosystem for the rest of 2021. For instance, are limited partners going to continue allocating more capital to this asset class? Will SPAC deals be a dominant feature of the IPO market? Or will more late-stage companies go public through more traditional routes? My PitchBook colleagues and I will be watching closely, and we look forward to sharing our insights with you. That does it for this week's episode of PitchBook's Invisible Capital Podcast. Thanks for listening. For more information, including links to the report and webinar covered in today's episode, you can visit pitchbook.com podcast. Please rate and review the show to help others discover it. And join us next week for a look at GP Stakes. Until next time, I'm Alexander Davis. So long, everyone. Invisible Capital is a production of PitchBook. Executive produced by Kai Yao. Hosted by Alexander Davis and Adam Lewis. This episode was produced and edited by Kai Yao. Cover art by Landon Early. Subscribe to Invisible Capital on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information, visit pitchbook.com slash podcast.